Aren't you glad that God invented color? In April, in Washington County, as you drive down the roads, see all those beautiful colors. Just think how blah it would be if it was all in black and white and gray. I was thinking about that on the way here. We have some pretty purple flowers on the way here and all different colors. Boy, what a, what a gracious God we have. Okay, let's pre- prepare ourselves this morning in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer. And during that time, we have the opportunity to name privately to God the Father any unconfessed sins which ensures the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time we have together as the body of Christ. The universal church, indeed, we have a local church where we are to stand firm for the faith, grow in grace and knowledge. And in Your matchless grace, You've given us this time to fulfill Your plan and everything necessary to do it. So we pray that You will help us to focus and to concentrate, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> we are still in the fundamentals. Ron, our webmaster, called me a couple of weeks ago and he said, How much longer are you going to be in the fundamentals? I said, Well, till I get finished. I'm not sure how long that is. I don't ever like to guess about those things because... I uh, rarely get it right. So, we are studying a personal sense of eternal destiny. And with that in mind, there's a principle that comes up. Excuse me. The rate of learning doctrine must exceed the rate of forgetting doctrine in order to, before we get to the in order to, let's just look at that for just a moment. We have several senior citizens in our midst. I'm classified as one of them. And this is especially pertinent to us, isn't it? When was the last time you forgot where you put your glasses? When was the last time you were late and couldn't find your keys? At least we usually can still remember what our car looks like and find it in a parking lot. It just is natural for us to forget things, especially when you don't concentrate on things, when things aren't really important to you. It's easy for them just to kind of slip between the cracks and next thing you know, uh, you don't remember those things anymore. Even for young people, young people have a lot to remember, don't you? If you're in school, there's a lot of memorization. And it's very easy even for young people to forget things that are really important. So the rate of learning doctrine must not keep up with the rate of forgetting, but must exceed it. That's one reason we're here. One reason, well, there's several reasons. One is because we are being obedient 
to assemble ourselves together to learn the Word. That's one reason. Hopefully, most, if not all of you, are here because you're hungry for truth. You want to learn more and more and more about our great God and what He has for us. What is His plan for you, specifically, individually? In your life, what is His plan for you? Well, if you're going to know these things, you're going to have to have doctrine exceed the rate of forgetfulness. Now, I don't know what your rate of forgetfulness is, but I can assure you when your intake of doctrine starts slipping, so does your memory of doctrines. So, the rate of learning doctrine must exceed the rate of forgetting doctrine in order to, number one, replace human viewpoint with divine viewpoint. We all come into this world thinking like humans. That might be because we are human. And human viewpoint just comes absolutely uh, natural to us. It's the way we think. But if we're going to grow in grace and knowledge, if we're going to fulfill God's plan, wipe away the cobwebs of confusion about what this life is all about, then we have to replace human viewpoint with divine viewpoint. And that is an exceedingly hard job to accomplish. In fact, if your rate of taking in doctrine is not exceeding the rate of your forgetting doctrine, you don't have a chance. You will be consumed with human viewpoint. And why is that? One reason is because we have to fight for our divine viewpoint as far as thinking it every single day because we are bombarded every moment of every day with what? Human viewpoint. Uh, We live in the electronic age. We are in the sophisticated Internet age. We have devices that I can pronounce, but I don't know what they are. Uh, Ron told me recently, he said, we're going to get podcasting for the Internet. I said, great! (laughs) What is that? That's what a podcast is. We used to cast pods when I was small at each other. Anyway, we have a tremendous amount of information coming into our lives. If you, and most of you have the Internet, that means you have the world at your fingertips. And that can be, in some aspects, a blessing, but sometimes it can be a curse. It wasn't that long ago. Let's just go back a mere 200 years, which is just a snap of the fingers in history. People used to live in a town, and, of course, the mode of transportation was by horse, maybe horse and buggy. And people knew their neighbors right around them, and from time to time they would get into the town, which might have a, a hundred people or so maybe in it, and they knew some of those. But as far as knowing what's beyond the next hill and the next and the next, they had no idea what, what was going on. And so... It's easy for us to succumb to the propaganda and the deluge of human viewpoint because it is just 
our society, the airwaves, the print, even the spoken word is saturated with human viewpoint. Human viewpoint means they're not, they don't have any thought of God. It's secular without God. That's what we are involved in every day. Now, you can get a, uh, you, you can try to battle this. You can put on uh, the radio when you're driving here or driving home and put it on a Christian station. But you know what? That isn't an absolute guarantee that you're not going to get human viewpoint. And sometimes, worse than that, you're going to get false doctrine. So we have to replace human viewpoint with divine viewpoint. That's one reason that the rate of doctrine must exceed the rate of forgetting. The second reason is to maintain our personal sense of destiny. That's where we are. We're on the, what is it, the sixth floor? Personal sense of eternal destiny. That's reading yourself into life beyond the few years that you have here on planet Earth. Now, why is this important? Why is it important that you replace human viewpoint with divine viewpoint and maintain your personal sense of destiny? Are you ready for it? Because, drum roll, we are eternal creatures living in temporary bodies. You see, the world is, is trying to give you just the opposite. They act like what we have here in this life, in the here and now, is all there is. So you've got to go for the gusto. There's nothing about what happens after this life because... For most people, that's a huge question mark. They have no idea what goes on beyond this realm. And many will say, there is no other realm. What you see is what you get. Why are we eternal creatures? How can I unequivocally, dogmatically say that you are an eternal creature? It's not because the body that I'm looking at is going to last for all eternity at least not in the form it's in now, it's because every one of us has a soul. And the soul is eternal. God made your soul out of the same thing that He made the universe out of. You know what that was? Nothing. You can't cut into somebody's brain and say, uh-huh, there's his soul. I knew that critter was in there somewhere. I knew it was lurking about. I didn't think it was in his foot. I thought it was in his head. No, it's immaterial. We can't see it. But the Bible says you are what you think. And part of your soul is the mentality to be able to think. We are made in the likeness of God. And God is a rational thinking creature. We are different from animals. Animals are not rational Creatures in the sense of thinking and having mentality and norms and standards, and they're not able to have a relationship with God. There's hardly anything to watch on TV anymore if you're going to watch TV. I go to Channel 8 sometimes, and that doesn't, it's not much better. I was uh, watching, a, I turned there just the other day and I had a show about monkeys. 
And all these monkeys are different kinds of monkeys. And they were talking about how, uh, when, how they communicate with one another. And when a tiger comes, you know, one of them puts out the scream and they all run up the, the uh, branches and so forth. And they, then, you know, I can, I can go to that extent. But then it starts talking about how uh, these monkeys are always thinking about each other and they have different pitches to their voice to show this, that, and the other things. Even they were coming within a, just a thread of saying that they talk to one another. Animals don't do verbs. Animals may communicate in certain ways, but they're different from us. We have an eternal soul, and if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have something else to boot. You have an eternal spirit. You didn't come into this world with one. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Because the first birth doesn't cut it. You have to be born again spiritually. A lot of people have heard that before. What does that mean, being born again spiritually? It means that you acquire something you never had before. And it's not something that you, that you even know happens when it occurs. When you believed in Jesus Christ, what happened? A lot of things happened. Over 40 things happened. But it's not feeling. But you learn as you study your Bible, oh, I went from being two parts, body and soul, to now three parts, body, soul, and spirit. Now I have a spirit. The spirit is that part of you which is also invisible, intangible, that allows you to have a relationship with the God of this universe. So in all these senses, you are eternal. And you have to fight every single day in your thinking to make room for the eternal. Thinking about God who is eternal and what's going to happen to us when we leave this veil of tears. You know what I'm talking about, leaving this veil of tears, don't you? I was thinking to explain it, I would just say, I'm talking about when you croak, but that would be not very distinguished, not very sophisticated, so I won't say that. Because we are eternal creatures living in a temporary body. We all know that our bodies are temporary, don't we? Hmm? There is a 100% chance, 100% chance, that you're going to die. And that I'm going to die. Unless Jesus Christ returns before that time. Now, when I said that, what went off in your soul? Did you think... I wish he just would quit bringing that up. Are you afraid of death? Listen, God is so gracious. And what I, I, so many things I love about God, but one of the things I really love is that he hasn't left it up to us to decide when we're going to die. If he had, most of you would already be dead. That's because you have a bad day. You know, you're, you get a Dear John letter. Your girlfriend rejects you or whatever. I just want to die. Okay. Boop. You'd be dead. God's got more sense than that. As you get older, you become more familiar with the idea that you're temporary. I mean, every time you get up in the mirror and you look, this, 
this is what I do. I don't know about you. And you younger people, you don't understand this, I know. But I get up in the mornings, I go in there, and uh, unfortunately there's this big mirror right over the lavatory. And so I go in there, and I'm getting water, pushing it on my face or something. You know, I look up and I go, you know, just about that number. And that's okay, because the outside isn't really what's important. We should try to maintain it and take care of it the best we can. But it is so far inferior to what's on the inside, and the inside is eternal. It's going to be somewhere for all eternity. And when you get that notion in your noggin, then you start thinking, okay, I'm beginning to get a sense of a personal not just a sense, but a personal sense of destiny. God, I know that God has a plan for me here on earth, but it's a revelation to some to recognize that He has a plan for you, a really much bigger plan, a much longer plan after we die. Let's move, move back for a minute so we don't get lost. We are to replace human viewpoint with divine viewpoint, maintain our personal sense of destiny. And I said, why is this important? Because we are eternal creatures living in, a temporary, in temporary bodies. Plus, what we do now determines what we will be, what we will have, and what we will, we will do for all eternity. Now, let that one soak in for a moment. Notice, I didn't say that what we uh, do now determines where we will be. You could say that to a, to a point. That's not what I'm, I'm really focusing on. In other words, the things that you do on a daily basis is not going to determine where you're going to spend eternity. What you do in a moment of time when you believe in Jesus Christ determines where you're going to be for all eternity. And I suppose that I'm talking to all believers. If I'm not, just hang in there. I'll talk to you at the end. I'll give you the gospel. So when I'm talking to believers, we need to recognize that what you do now, the decisions that you make now are going to determine what you will be. Well, you, most of you say, well, what do you mean what I will be? Well, you're going to... You're going to be in heaven. All of us are going to be in heaven. But what are you going to be in heaven? Are you going to be a rewarded, decorated, winner believer with privileges and opportunities and crowns and that will last for all eternity? Or are you going to be one of those that got in by the skin of their teeth? I never saw the skin on my teeth, but I assume it's pretty thin because I don't see it. It's barely getting in. Now, you barely get in in the sense of rewards and decorations. It's not that what you do in time, after you believe in Jesus Christ, is going to just let you squeak in because your deeds had anything to do with it. Your works don't have anything to do with going to heaven, but they have everything to do with what you're going to be after you're in heaven. Charlie and I was getting cool. I don't know, the ladies are, you know, they're... They're like this now. A while ago, they were doing this. So, I don't know. Um, just do your best. So, what do we do now determines what we will be. 
what we will have. Do you think everybody gets the same amount of toys in heaven? Same quality of toys? There's going to be some running around with a, a rubber gun. Do you know what a rubber gun is? Some of you do. When I was little, we used to cut out, out a piece of wood what looked like a pistol. And we'd take an a inner tube and cut off a piece and put it over the end and stretch it back and put a clothespin. We'd run around and shoot each other with it. That was the most sophisticated toy we had for the most part. We had a lot of fun with it. But now they have gadgets. My grandsons play with gadgets. I don't even know how or what they are. I just say, keep on doing it because when you're playing, you're, you're doing better than the alternative, which is getting in the way or being mischievous. What we will have, what we will have. You know, the Bible, this is something I want you to understand. The Bible talks about deco- decorations, crowns, and privileges, and opportunities, all these things for believers who make good choices on earth that grow up spiritually understanding what it's all about. However, um, it doesn't give us specifics about these things. I mean, you might think, okay, why should I knock myself out on earth, going to Bible class and studying, so all eternity I get to wear a crown on my head? Whoopee! I'm not all that crazy about wearing a crown. I mean, you know, as far as just the thing of wearing a crown, might be heavy. You know, if they made out of gold, gold is heavy. Give me a headache. You ladies, you might not like the way it messes up your hair or whatever. That's not what it's about. It's just a generalization so that you understand that God is promising you His reputation, His Word is on the line that you're going to have these things that are so wonderful, so fantastic, that we can't even in our little pea brains in this body even get an idea what they're about. So when it says that what you do now determines... Uh, what we will have, that's a big deal. You're not going to be sitting on a cloud playing a harp. That never did turn me on much, by the way. That's what I thought. I was in a particular denomination for, I don't know, every time the doors were open, we were there. And they never told me anything about heaven. And uh, the word was out that it's playing harps on cloud nine. Why cloud nine? Why not cloud ten? Why not cloud eight? I don't know. Something about cloud nine. That's about the extent of it. And it really didn't turn me. I was not motivated to go. I was really, not only was I not motivated, I was somewhat concerned. I thought, I had an idea how long eternity was. If I'm going to sit on a cloud and play a harp, I had enough time, a hard enough time with the guitar And what we're going to do for all eternity. That's, see, that's, I'm talking, I thought I was going to be bored. Go to heaven and be bored. Now, I'm not, I know I'm not that odd. There are other people that thought the same thing because I talked to them. Have you ever been on a cruise? Anybody been on a cruise? If you go on a cruise, your itinerary all the time is scheduled, isn't it? They always have something for you to do. They're taking you in luxury to a places you've never been before. That's just a little bitty inkling of what heaven is going to be like. You're not going to be bored. God is free when we're out of these mortal bodies to take us probably to planets to galaxies all over the universe and show us things 
that we can't even conceive right now. He can say, you think Earth was something? You think the Hubble telescope was something? Watch this. That's what heaven is going to be about. And I don't know. Um, I'm sure there will be some maybe that don't get to go as far as others with regards to that, that could be a reward. That could be uh, a prize given to believers who do it right here on earth. Turn it to Hebrews 10, 35 and 36 in your Bibles. This is after a long dissertation. He's bringing it together. He's summing it up, starting with, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. I want you to underline the word confidence and put a PSD or a PSED, either one, personal sense of destiny, personal sense of eternal destiny. Make it all capital letters because this is a capital thought. And don't throw it away. Don't throw away your confidence. I don't know how much you have developed a personal sense of destiny, even if it's just the beginning of one. Don't throw it away. It is exceedingly valuable. How do you throw it away? Just quit taking in the Word. And doctrine will become a thing of the past. You won't remember it. Remember the first point I said? The rate of taking in doctrine, learning doctrine, has to exceed the rate of forgetting it. And that's how you keep it from being thrown away. You don't do it on purpose. You, no one would do that on purpose. They just kind of get distracted. Uh, they got a real busy week, and they keep shoving doctrine further and further and further back to where the point, you know, you know I just really can't fit it in. Maybe next year. Don't throw it away, which has a great reward. The question is, do you believe that? If you believe it, then you're not going to allow the rate of forgetting to exceed the rate of learning doctrine. You're, not, you're going to fight every day to keep that divine viewpoint. You're going to think in terms of eternity and not just the temporary because you are an eternal creature. For you have need of endurance. Amen to that. Don't we need endurance? I mean, you might have spurts of real spirituality, some people might say. There may be times when you're really tuned in to God. But it's the long haul that matters. How long do you have to endure to the end? Either the end of your life or to the end of this dispensation, which is when Jesus Christ is going to return. That's how long you have to endure. So that when you have done the will of God, what is the will of God? Well, generally, it's talking about for everyone to believe in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. After that, most people don't have a clue. 
It's the will of God that you grow in the grace that He has provided. In grace and what else? Let me hear it. There you go. Grace and knowledge. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. The neat thing about it is you're going to receive promises that are for the temporary now. Absolute, specific promises that will make your life wonderful. didn't say trouble-free, but it will still make it wonderful. But this is just, this is nothing. I can't emphasize enough how brief this life is. And the more that you think about eternity, the more that you make decisions based on eternity because you know that God has promised you these wonderful things, but only to those who grow in grace and knowledge that execute His plan, to that extent that you think about those things, you are investing in eternity. Now forget about salvation, eternal salvation. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about investing in your future. I'm talking about your eternal future. And the more you think of the things that are unseen, those invisible things of God, you are investing in your future. And it's going to be wonderful beyond your dreams forever. That's the kind of God we have. But what you do now makes a difference. Here's examples of a personal sense of destiny. And I'm running way behind, but I'm going to try to get through some of these anyway. Uh, Turn in Genesis chapter 22. We're going to talk about Abraham for a moment. Genesis chapter 22. Some of you will remember this account. It's not a story. It's an account. It's an historical account. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, follow with me. Now, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah, And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Parents, what if you got a message from God like that? And I can tell you that there's no way that as as horrible as that may seem to you, it would have at least double the impact to Abraham. Because Isaac was no common child and wasn't a common birth. He was a hundred years old when Isaac was born, way past his ability and his wife's ability to produce children. They had waited a hundred years. And finally they have a son. And look what he says here. He says, Take now your son, your only son... 
that He's waited for all this time. And then He says, Whom you love, Son whom you love, Isaac, can you imagine the closeness? Abraham had wanted this all the time. Abraham was a very, very successful man in every, every way you can think of except he had no sons. Now he had an heir from his wife. And he loved him like you can't believe. And God tells him, okay, go up on Mount Moriah and we're going to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Wait a minute, God. I thought you were you abhorred the God Moloch where children were sacrificed and burned to death. I mean, there's a lot of things he could have said, but let's read on. So Abraham rose early in the morning. Wait a minute. Where's the argument here? Where's the questioning of God? Do you see it? Is there anything that he... Do you say... Do you see any buts here? Do you see any but gods here? Now, folks, this is faith. You know what Abraham had? And I'm going to demonstrate it. He had a personal sense of eternal destiny. And I think Isaac did too. See, that's what a personal sense of destiny will do. It will give you that type of obedience to God. So it says in verse 3, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took, his, uh, took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. I, I think that, that, that just seems like, well, well what's the big deal? I'm just, I, put yourself in Abraham's shoes for a moment. He gets two young guys to help him. They get on a donkey. They get the wood for the sacrifice, and they're headed for the location God says. And think of the turmoil going on in Abraham's soul. He's thinking, certainly God is going to stop me before we even get there. And then he raises his eyes, and he sees the place that God had spoken of, and his heart just sinks. He thinks, this is real. God really expects me to do this. Can you imagine what's going on in his soul at this time? Verse 5. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder, and we will worship and return to you. Did you catch this? Did you let... Huh? Is that not faith being expressed right here? God said He's going to sacrifice His Son... As a burnt offering, that means he's going to be what? Dead. But he tells his two people going with him, stay here, not that I'm coming, we are coming back. You see, Abraham trusted God so much that he thought even if I sacrifice him, God's going to bring him back to life. Whatever it is, that's how much he loved God and how much he trusted God. Verse 6, And Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac his son. That means he put it on him to carry. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked together. Evidently he had a torch or something because it had to be a burnt offering. He couldn't go up there and get a, a big lighter and just strike it. He had to carry the fire with him. 
and the knife. That was going to be the mode of execution. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Evidently, Isaac didn't know what was going to go down yet. And so he asked his father, Where's the lamb? Verse 8, And Abraham said, God will provide. Underline that. What a great believer we have here. God will provide for Himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, I know it says that he bound his son Isaac, but I don't think that he bound him because he was going to have to fight him over this. I think he bound him because that was the mode of the modus operandi when they took a a sacrifice. They would put it on the altar, and what would they do? They would bind it. They would take a lamb. It's not just going to lay up there and let you cut its throat. They have to tie it. So they were going through the exact procedure that they did before. I'll say something else about that in a moment. Verse 10. And Abraham stretched out his knife and took the knife to slay his son. Now, that means he took the knife. In other words, it was all done. The wood was on the altar. His son Isaac, his only son, the one that he loved, was on the altar, bound. Abraham had the knife, and he's doing this number. He's got the knife, and he is ready to come down. And it's at that point that the angel of the Lord, which is Jesus Christ, wait a minute. Did he take him right to the edge? Have you ever been taken right to the edge? Look what he says. Verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God. Underline that word, fear. That word there means not only to fear in the sense of being afraid, but it also means respects and has awe. That's what Abraham had for God. He respected God to the point. He believed and trusted God to the point that he would take his only son and drive a a knife through his heart if that's what God required. He says, now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horn. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place The Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. 
in the Hebrew, that is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. Now, Abraham was faithful, wasn't he? Did God say, you obeyed me, now let's move on. Is that what happened? Then verse 15, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. By the way, did Abraham have another son? But the God is calling him his only son. Because this is the, God, the son that counts. This is the one that God would provide in a miraculous way for him. He is of the covenant. You see here, he says he swears by himself. By myself I have sworn. This is a covenant. God is the only God that makes a covenant because He's the only God. He's a covenant-making God. He makes promises. Verse 17, And I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand of the sea on which the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. They're going to be conquerors. And in your seed... All nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And where it says, your seed, <coughs> excuse me, 18, I want you to underline that and put out in the margin, capital J period, capital C period. Because Jesus Christ came from the line of Abraham. And this is where it started right here. He's the father of the Jewish race, Abraham is. So was God faithful? Did God reward him for what he did? Was Abraham thinking beyond just the temporary, beyond the details? This is a, a perfect example of a personal sense of destiny. Now turn to Hebrews chapter 11. By the way, Hebrews chapter 11 is called the hero and the heroine chapter. It's examples of people that lived before us that had a personal sense of destiny and shows what they did because they knew what they did now matters and it's going to determine what their eternal destiny is going to be like. Not going to determine where they're going to be. It determines what they're going to be like. So we go to verse 8. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. I want you to underline that. He was in Ur of the Chaldees, a pagan city. Abraham, got something to say to you. 
And he told him what to do. Now, God doesn't speak to us these days like that. He speaks to us through his word. He says, I got something for you to do. I got a place where I want you to go. And that's what I love about this, this verse. God had an inheritance for him. He had to go to a place where he was, where he has never gone before. He didn't know where he was going. Have you ever launched out in faith not knowing what was going to take place? But you were trusting God because it lined up with His Word and you were being led by the Holy Spirit? Have you ever launched out in faith like that? This church, the building that we're sitting in, I'm not comparing myself with Abraham. Don't think that. I'm just trying to give an illustration. Was built not knowing if it would be completed, not knowing if after it was built, if anybody would come. The movie, You Will Build It and They Will Come, hadn't come out yet. Is that the name of it? Something like that. Had no idea. But the Lord was moving me in a big way to do this. And He, he blessed it eventually. We prayed for children, and boy, did we get children. So we're going to build another wing. We had to build on. Same thing. But well, I don't know how it's going to be, but we're, we're led in this direction, and I, we didn't know exactly how it was going to go. There was no guarantees. Led in that direction. Now, I'll tell you this. I will confess this to you. When we built that junior class, I thought, this is way too big. This is too much space for the, jun- for the junior class. So, um, But, I, you know, that was the design. So, And now we're thinking, is it going to be big enough? Had no idea what was going to happen. Then we moved the, bad, the, the restrooms out of here into where the, the hallway was. Didn't know if it was going to fill up. I mean, that's a lot of seats back there. Filled up, and then we didn't have enough room again. Then what? We're going to build a wing over here. Do you think at any time I had a guarantee that God says, boy, you're doing the right thing, and I'm going to bless it, and I'll show you specifically what you didn't know? Didn't know what was going to, what was going to happen. And now... They're on my back <laughs> about the nursery. They're not on my back. I shouldn't say that. But. I mean, these are good things. But what I'm trying to tell you, in your life, surely there are things that you are led to do. And, and look at that. That verse is so important. He went out not knowing where he was going. In other words, he had not a clue. God said, go. I've got a place for you. I could, I could do a whole message on this, but I better move on. Verse 9. By faith he lived as an alien in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city, underline the city, which was found, whose foundations, which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Now, he lived in a tent the entire time, and he was a very wealthy man. He could have had a palace if he wanted to. But you know why he was living in a tent? Because he had a personal sense of destiny. And it reminded him that no matter 
where he lives now, he was waiting for a city that was promised. These people had doctrine more than most. What city? The New Jerusalem. He knew about it. He was looking forward to it. What do you know about the New Jerusalem? He knew enough to leave, not even know where he was going, and live in a tent because he was looking forward to that city. And when, was that, when is that city going to come about? After this period of time is over. Verse 10, For he was looking for a city whose foundations has foundations the architect and builder was God. I've got, you know, the city, did you everyone underline the city? Because I have two other, well, I have about three more examples. And I was silly enough to think that I was going to give them all in today. And I was going to end early because we're going to have a business meeting right afterwards. And I am two minutes past what the clock says I should end at. But we're not, we're not uh, slaves to the clock, are we? Not to that extent. There is some tremendous examples. I'm just going to give a few next Sunday because I want to press on. But I learned something about this city. Just remember that. The city. That city is going to have an important point, part to play in a few of the other examples of believers who had a personal sense of destiny. I, didn't, I just learned this yesterday. And I'm going to pass it on. Now, if everyone, please bow your heads and close your eyes. I told you, if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're not certain that you're going to heaven, if there's any doubt or confusion, let's remove that right now. The fact is that Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for your sins. He was buried and rose again and now offers eternal life to you or anyone who will trust Him and Him alone for it. Eternal life. Can't lose it. But it's only given as a gift. That means... You have to receive it without any strings attached. No works, nothing. Simply believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is the way we receive that unspeakable gift. And you can do it right now. Settle it for all eternity. And then get cracking with regards to growing in grace and have these wonderful promises that you can depend on and it will change your life. Father, thank You for this time You've given us to focus on Your matchless grace and Your mighty Word. Help us to keep our focus on what's really important, those unseen things, the things of God, the things of eternity. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Just a minute, John. We're immediately...